Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Stories of Gumption. It's episode 21. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when it is that you are listening to this episode. Hope you're enjoying yourself today. Hope you're about to enjoy this episode. And uh, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, whether CastBox, Google Play, Spotify, subscribe. You'll get an update every time a new episode comes out and really appreciate the support. Uh, As always, there's also opportunity for sponsorship. If you have a business, a new idea, anything you want to get out to the world, uh, viewership is growing. Listenership is growing. And uh, this is a great opportunity for you uh, to get your name out there. We have a couple sponsors who did take care of that opportunity. Some of them have been around since the very beginning of the episode. We want to give them some shout-outs real quick. And the OG sponsor of Stories of Gumption, Open Gate Farmstead. As you've heard before from the jingle, they are a stone's throw away from the mighty Osable River. Open Gate Farmstead is a first-generation farm specializing in free-range poultry, pasture, raised pork, and seasonal produce. Their slogan is simple. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. And all I can say is in a world where over-processed food is everywhere, it pays to get your food from a local, sourced, small, good old-fashioned American farm. These guys uh, work very hard on their project. They document everything on YouTube. So if you're interested in seeing their story, check them out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Again, it's Open Gate Farmstead. Love them. Uh, Kavanaugh Realty is sponsor number two. They're hanging in there, and we appreciate their support. They're doing great things in the Champlain Valley real estate community. They are a local independent real estate company, not a corporate one or or anything like that. Uh, We are blessed to have tons of great real estate agencies and agents and brokers in uh, the Champlain Valley, but Kavanaugh Realty has been doing a great job. We really appreciate their support of this podcast. They're local. They're helping people buy and sell their homes. Reach out to them today. Check them out on the web, on social media, hashtag local matters. Also have one more sponsor. These two are fantastic. Zach and Kate Hoy, everybody. They provide professional and economic cleaning solutions to residential and commercial structures. They specialize in window cleaning, floor care, carpet extraction, and auto and boat detailing. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Sparkle Clean. S-P-A-R-K-I-L-K-L-E-E-N. They are at 518-578-2931. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, at SparkleClean. That's Zach and Kate Hoyt, everybody. Check them out. They do amazing things. Today, I'm with a great friend of mine, colleague, coworker, uh, and inspiration to me in many ways, Corey Parent. He balances the great job of being a client advisor like myself for Hickok and Boardman Insurance Group, but he also is a politician in Vermont. He's been a state representative, and now he's a state senator. He's a father. Uh, man, he's got, he's a, a proud husband, uh, and he is a work horse. Uh, I really enjoyed today's conversation with him because he kind of taps into something that I think is critical to life, and it's this concept of uh, creating behaviors and activities that breed success over time. 
So, enjoy episode 21 of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Gumption, defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. All right. Today I am with Mr. Corey Parent, very good friend of mine. He's a client advisor at Hickok and Boardman. Shout out to Hickok and Boardman Insurance Group, best in the biz locally here. We got, uh, he is also a Vermont state senator, very impressive for his age. He's a fellow Laurentian. We both graduated from St. Lawrence University. However, he has uh, moved on to the other side of that rivalry, and he is now pursuing his MBA at Clarkson. So we might have to talk about that a little bit. And then arguably, maybe even the most important, Corey is also a husband and a father. Welcome to the podcast, Corey Parent. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to talking to you and your listeners today. Yeah, man. Well, it's it's cool because uh, before the podcast, you know, you and I were talking about how we've always kind of known each other through college, but we weren't super tight friends through college, but we stayed connected. We had mutual friends and it was kind of interesting to kind of follow your path to where you are now and my path to where I am now. And here we are, we both work for Hickok and Boardman, same employer doing the same job. Yeah, no, it's neat. And uh, I, I, you know, like you said, we have one mutual friend in particular that we're really close to um, on each side. But, you know, it was neat, you know, a couple years ago when you reached out about potentially coming to Hickok and Boardman and you and I, I think at that point, got a little bit closer just talking about your path to um, ultimately accepting the job and um, through your first couple of years there, which you've done an absolutely fantastic job. And I think the well, you. in the Plattsburgh area are going to be lucky to have you uh, help them with their risk management needs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't usually uh, go into a heavy plug of Hickok and Boardman, but I mean, for the listeners, why don't, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who we work for, sure. where our offices are and give them, give them the pitch. We work for um, a longstanding company that's 198 years old um, in the Vermont area, uh, located out of Burlington, Vermont, but we have offices in St. Albans, uh, where I work out of Stowe, Montpelier, Lindenville. And, um, you know, over the last couple of years, and I've been with the firm about four now and Northern New York uh, has been a target area for us. My mom and dad are actually from um, the Brushton area, just past Malone, uh, and I have a lot of family out there. So um, it became a natural place to start to look, and um, Plattsburgh was an area we were looking in, and um, you've helped us expand there. But ultimately what we do is uh, help uh, businesses, large and small, meet their risk management needs, not just placing insurance, but um, really working with risk management and helping them reduce their insurance costs through uh best practices in safety and claim management, and really an all-around risk management firm. Um, I think far too often people think about insurance as something that 
they buy every year, but realistically, I think your insurance agent is just as important as your accountant and your lawyer. Um, when you think about it, when your business burns down or you have an injured employee or something happens, it's how good of a product your insurance agent put you in that'll ultimately um, mean could mean the difference uh, between a full recovery or not. You know, at the you know they're the ones when stuff really hits the fan that you need to make sure they do a good job. So. Um, you know, some people don't look at us in that manner, but I think, you know, successful businesses see their insurance company and uh, as someone as, as vital as, you know, their lawyer and their accounting and their other servicing teams that they have for their businesses. It's so true. It's so true. It's so funny too, man. I mean, I, when I, uh, <laughs> when I first really like started thinking, all right, I think I'm going to be I think I'm actually going to be working in insurance. I had the conversation with my wife, Lauren, and I'm just like, is this really what I'm, what I'm going to do? Like if you'd asked me in high school, uh, Ryan, do you want to be an insurance broker, insurance agent? And I, I probably would have first thrown up in my mouth and then, uh, been like, no way. That sounds like the worst career ever. And now that I'm older, uh, you know, I've got an MBA behind me. So I've got that experience and education, but also the, the, the lessons that I've learned from, from the Hickok and Boardman interviewing process and, and now being with them for going on two years, it's, I'm nerding out on this industry. It is so cool, especially from the commercial side, you know, like the, 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 the puzzle that you're putting together for a client to help make sure that their needs are met to the best price and ability, but also service model is, uh, I'm nerding out on it. No, it's fantastic. And, you know, with my other career, which we'll get into, I know later in the podcast about being a state senator, one of the, you know, I see a lot of dovetails between my two careers. And um, the part that I I love so much is the opportunity just to go in and learn and talk to these businesses and and learn what they do. And, and as we're building the risk management insurance package for them, but, you know, understanding every intricate detail of their business and, and, it's just cool to see what type of employers we have up here. Um, I'll use North country broadly as North country, New York and North country, Vermont. Um, but it, it's really fascinating the products and the, the businesses we have up here that I don't think people always realize that we do have. Oh, for sure. And, and you mentioned the point of North country, New York and North country, Vermont. I, I, I like that because as someone who's been commuting and, and really like, if you take the ferry out of the equation, it's it's like a half hour trip. But we we put up this massive wall, this barrier in our heads because there's a body of water in between us. But the connectivity of the Champlain Valley, I mean, we share the same news station. We share, the same, you know, it's like the same exact uh, types of communities. But um, for some reason, uh, there seems to be a barrier uh, a default barrier in people's minds, I think, a lot initially when they think of Vermont versus Northern New York. Well, it's true. And, and the unique piece is I actually, uh, in my Senate district, represent Alberg, Vermont, which is um, a peninsula that most people don't realize actually is not even connected to the continental United States. They're connected by land to Canada, but they have part of Lake Champlain going up their west side and part of Lake Champlain going up their east side. And uh, there, there's a community there that, you know, from an identity perspective, I think identifies with both. A lot of their kids go to high school in Vermont. A lot of their kids go to high school in Rouse's Point. And, you know, they've done a good job for them. It's not even a ferry. It's 
it's a bridge that connects the two communities in the two states. And, you know, it's, um, and they see more of it than, you know, maybe I would out of St. Albans or maybe you out of Plattsburgh, but um, there definitely is a common uh, element to our communities and who we are. Yep, for sure. For sure. Well, yeah, we'll probably uh, find an opportunity to to dive back into to insurance a little bit. But uh, for the listeners who don't know you, um, give them a little bit of your background. So, because because you have a really interesting story, and I want to get into the gumption piece of it. But uh, getting to know you, it, you got a cool story, man. You you came from you know northern Vermont, and then. Well, tell tell them the rest. Tell the sure. tell me tell the people the story. So I, I grew up in uh, St. Albans, Vermont. You know, a, a town. Uh, there's actually two communities: St. Albans City and St. Albans Town. But I grew up in the city of St. Albans. Um, went to Bellatry Academy over here, the high school. Ended up at St. Lawrence University. I was deciding at the time between Clarkson and St. Lawrence, and when I stepped on that St. Lawrence campus, I knew it was home immediately. Um, and I went over that way because like I said, my mom and dad and you know my grandparents at the time um, lived, my parents were from a half an hour from the Canton Potsdam area and my grandparents were there. And in my mind, it was a great place to go to a good school and be two and a half hours away from home, but half an hour from grandma if I wanted a home cooked meal. So that's uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, uh, you know, I head over there and, and really, um, I think really blossomed at St. Lawrence, you know, St. Lawrence was, as you know, a great school where I immediately felt at home and felt like I could make an impact. And, you know, I got involved, um, you know, in a couple of organizations there, um, helped bring back uh, a fraternity um, in a very positive way. I I know sometimes Greek life gets a negative light, but I met some of my best friends in that fraternity, including our mutual friend, Danny. And, um, had a, you know, a great time. And, and it was ultimately through there that, you know, my sophomore year, um, some of the courage with, with the encouragement of some of my fellow, uh, beta brothers. And, you know, as elected ran for and elected, uh, Thelmo president at St. Lawrence, which is president of the student body. Um, and did that for a year. And, you know, to me, I learned an incredible amount, um, outside of the classroom. I look back at my St. Lawrence experience and I, I had an incredible, experience in the classroom, but the experiences I had outside of the classroom really shaped me for where I am, you know, in that role, I got to serve on the board of trustees for a year. Uh, I got to be in regular meetings with the president of the university. I got to be on a, a committee that was called um, ISAC at the time, but it was the Institutional Strategic Assessment Committee. Uh, I ultimately ended up on the committee that um, designed the new dorm building um, and placed it where we did and redid the quad. Um, you know, I got to do a lot of cool things outside the classroom that I don't know necessarily a lot of students got to do and, and, and learn from so many people. You know, when I was on the board of trustees, this was, you know, 2010, um, you know, we were just coming out of the recession, but, you know, our endowment was down. There were decisions to be made, um, watching people who were CEOs of, you know, GE Africa and CEO of Priceline.com and, and many other impressive business leaders make decisions. Um, and even though I, you know, I didn't have a vote on that board to be able to sit in those meeting rooms and, and watch and make those decisions and the process they went through was an educational experience that, you know, I don't think I could, could have gotten anywhere else. And 
I can only imagine. That's that's incredible. Yeah, and so you know, at 19 years old, you know, 20 years old, I'm sitting there, you know, watching that, um, and you know, just learning. And then, you know, the cool part too is, you know, we had a million dollar budget as a student government at the time there, and overseeing that and the team that you know we we funded all the campus organizations. So, you know, Ace got the credit for the entertainment, but they were coming to us and working with us on how to get their budgets funded and and what type of stuff they were going to do. And, um, it was, it was all a really neat experience. And, and it actually parlayed into a couple of internships, um, for me, I interned my spring break one week of my sophomore year at Goldman Sachs in New York city's, um, in their, uh, securities division, which led to a summer internship, uh, between my junior and senior year of college, uh, which led to a job offer when I, I went back to campus my senior year at St. Lawrence with a job offer in municipal, municipal bond sales at Goldman Sachs and um, probably didn't have the typical senior year experience, you know, worrying what I'm going to do next. I, I kind of just plugged into that and knew I was off to New York City um, after graduation. And, <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, six weeks after graduation... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say what, so I feel like I've, I, I see a lot of similarities to you, um, just in your upbringing, kind of North country, uh, you know, small town guy, local, local athletics, local, uh, activities and, and, you know, you're doing things with the municipality growing up as a kid. And then you go to St. Lawrence, you pro- I had a very similar experience, kind of this, uh, welcome to the, to the real world. Welcome to the big big show kind of thing, you know, experience at St. Lawrence. And I, I, I gained a lot, but then you're about to go to New York city for your first job after college. Like what was going through your mind when that really sunk in? Because for me, I'm pretty sure I'd be freaking out Yeah, as a, as a North country kid going, wait, do I really know what I'm about to do? Like, this is awesome. New York city, the big apple. Right. But, um, I'd probably be a, be pretty nervous. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, you know, I, I always say I've been someone who's been able to handle stressful situations. Well, at, like the duck with the fetal pedaling real hard, but you know, looks calm on top. And, um, I'd be lying if I saying I, I wasn't nervous at the time, you know, when I interned at Goldman for the summer, I didn't particularly like the city. I liked doing the work and, um, was learning a lot and it was a good experience. And, you know, I thought, you know, um, first when I got the job offer, I was like, well, I don't want to live in New York city. So where can I live? And, um, I spent some time in Hoboken, New Jersey and, and ended up looking for something a little bit outside the city there, um, to live in. That was, I always thought it was much more like a Burlington, if you will. Um, which was the big, Oh, nice growing up yeah. and, uh, <clears throat> and did that. And I thought that, you know, that helped in part of the transition. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, I, I didn't stay at Goldman Sachs long term because of that. I think for someone, I don't think I've ever been built to be someone who can be defined by one role. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, 80, 100 hour work weeks while, you know, I was learning a lot and it was a good experience, um, never really gave me that satisfaction of what I wanted to be doing. And, and I know we get into millennials and people talk down our generation, you know, they sit there and go, you know, what are millennials doing? What, you know, they can't necessarily just go to work, but I do think we need to have meaning in our work. And, and, 
and Ryan, I mean, I was a kid, you know, my parents worked hard, but you know, we didn't come from a ton of money. Um, you know, they moved to Vermont, um, you know, to get out of Moira at that time when there were really no jobs before I was born. And, um, you know, for me is, is I would say a, a middle-class kid, but not in, but no, nowhere near an upper middle-class kid. Um, an opportunity at Goldman Sachs was just one I couldn't refuse to me. Um, there was always like a five year plan. If I could just go five years and, and save money and, um, be able to move back home, I'd be in a good spot. But, you know, I ultimately made it through you know, my first winter and, um, my boss one day, I just, you know, I, I started looking for jobs back home in Vermont cause uh, my wife now time and I were dating and we were meeting once a month in Albany um, because it was halfway point between Burlington and, and New York city. And, and she's a nurse and couldn't find a job in New York. So um, just between that's the per- tough. Yeah. And that's, that's tough so between the personal stuff and, and the work. And I, you know, I, I kind of bet on myself. I was like, you know what, if I can get back to Vermont um, with this experience and get a good job and anything that was closely to something that I was interested in doing, um, that opportunities potentially could arise. Now, I never thought I would have Goldman Sachs type opportunities, um, but you know, a good, comfortable North Country living opportunities, and and I ended up finding a job um, very shortly. I started looking in January. I had a job offer back at Fletcher Allen at the time, but now the University of Vermont Medical Center, doing some uh, finance and and policy work for them. Uh, and so w- one day in February, I, I looked at my boss, whose name was Paul, which is ironic because I work for Ryan and I work for a guy named Paul now. Um, and, uh, and I go, Paul, uh, you know, I'd love to have a conversation with you, you know, today after work if we can. And so, you know, and he's like, sure. And, you know, he grabbed me afterwards. And as we were walking to the, the office area, the conference room to have a conversation, he goes, so how do you like living in the city? And I looked at him and I go, I really don't like it. And we, and he kind of, we got into a conversation. He goes, you know, that's something you're going to have to decide as you get older is, you know, where are you going to be happy with your family? And And I go, honestly, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. And I gave him my notice right then and, you know, there. And um, Goldman doesn't do the nice thing where they let you serve out the two weeks. You get walked right up to HR at that point and shown the door. So. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yep. That's pretty common though in that industry. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wasn't going to competitor, so I was pretty prepared. My desk was cleaned out. I knew that was coming. So um, that was the end of my Goldman trip and I moved home and, you know, worked uh, for Fletcher Allen and started to get involved in our community. And um, that was 2013. And in 2014, I decided to run for the Vermont legislature um, in my hometown and ultimately was successful in beating an incumbent um, and um, serving my first of two years in the Vermont House. And for your listeners, especially on the New York side, they might be sitting there going, how does he have a business career and a political career? There are conflicts of interest and ethics and all the things that pop up. But in Vermont, we have a part-time citizen legislature. Um, We have no staff, um, individual office staff. I don't have an office like, you know, maybe your uh, assemblyman or your state senator. And we make a whopping $700 a week for the 16 weeks a year we're in the legislature. So um, no one can survive probably on 10, dollars $12,000 a year. So uh, that's why... we just, it's an old fashioned legislature that way. And, uh, but it provides me the opportunity to, to serve in both roles that I do. That's cool. That's real cool. So, uh, I, you know, you, you must've had this, um, 
this interest since being the president uh, of the student body at uh, St. Lawrence. Um, but at what point in time did you say, yeah, this is the right time. This is the right uh, public office. This is the right, you know, combo of things. I'm going to do this. How, how'd that go through your, your mind or yeah. your, your train of thought? It really came down to the issues that I felt were important at the time. Um, and still feel are, are some of the critical issues facing my state as somebody who, you know, you know, Ryan, I'm, I lucked out that I had the job offer at Goldman out of St. Lawrence. I don't know what my job offers would have been in Vermont right out of college, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. A lot of yeah. young people are leaving. You know, I was someone who made the bet to move back home. You know, we weren't, we still aren't um, doing a great job of keeping our young people here. Um, it's very expensive, uh, you know, to rent high here. Property taxes are high here. Um, but that spring that I moved home and was just starting to reconnect with some, I, I had been involved in local politics in high school, helping out people. And, um, you know, it really was the state representative at the time voted for about $200 million in tax increases, which on a New York scale may not seem big, but at the time, Vermont's budget, you know, non-federal dollars were about, you know, a billion five. So to have $200 million in uh, increasing in revenue, um, everything from a gas tax to um, clothes, you know, taxes on clothing, you know, they, they were really running up the, the, the charges in my thought, in my mind. And I thought, you know, this isn't the direction our state ought to be going when it's already too expensive to live here. And we're struggling to get businesses to come here and struggling to get young, young people to, to build their lives here. And, um, I actually started shopping when I call for a candidate, I started going, you know, going to the, you know, local parties meetings. I'm like, well, who's running for this office? Who's, you know, who can I help get elected? You know, I've worked on campaigns in the past. I don't think I'm ready to run, but <laughs> that's funny. That's like that's like kind of a similar story to uh, a previous uh, guest on the on the this podcast, uh, Janet Dupree. Yeah, who uh, she's she's our or our past assemblywoman for this district in New York. Yeah, and and she she actually spent forty one years in wow. uh, public service, and uh, it was definitely a full time plus some job for her, but. Uh, uh, I, I go into this just because uh, it, it's interesting that you tell the story as, oh, I, I was just looking to try and help get somebody else elected. That's exactly what she was trying to do. But it's it's funny how the, the power of doing that well and being known for your abilities can actually get you put on the, on the stage instead. Yeah, and, and it's funny. No one... You know, it became clear by the end of that spring, that summer, that no one else was uh, really interested in running for that job. So, you know, I started to have conversations. Well, what about me? You know what I mean? People ask the questions, you know, well, maybe you should consider it. And I thought, well, maybe. And I was like, you know what? I like this kind of work. I've, you know, been student body president at St. Lawrence. I was class president in high school that I've always kind of found my way into roles that like this. And, um, I was like, you know, what what can I do uh, to give back? And I thought it was, you know, an interesting opportunity. And um, it became clear there was a real opportunity to run and win um, at the end of that fall before the 2014 election year. And, um, you know, we we 
we decided to run and, <clears throat> you know, we, we worked hard. I mean, we knocked on every single door um, in my district twice, me personally, not like campaign volunteers, not other staffers, uh, among other things. But in that whole process, I really got to know my hometown and my community, those who supported me and those who didn't really well um, and, and really build a relationship with them that, you know, has allowed me in that career. And then I was someone after I got elected, um, we do two year cycles in Vermont. So I have a two year term and, um, you know, I went door to door my first off summer, off campaign summer and talked to everybody again. And then into my reelect every door twice again. And so over a span of three years, I knocked on most people's doors in this community five times and just got to know them. And, you know, I, they'd invite me in to show me the addition they just did to their house or they redid their kitchen and, we just had a lot of amazing conversations and it's, it's neat how far away from the partisan politics, the conversations were They're They're just about what's going on in the state of Vermont. What are we doing locally? Um, how things were going. And, and, you know, it was, um, you know, it was a really good experience and, <clears throat> you know, I had a great time. I'd, I'd honestly probably still be in the house. Um, but for our, one of our state senators um, retiring uh, right before the 2018 election and, um, you know, I jumped into that race, which was, it's a much different, you can't get to every door in the County. Um, but we still got to five to 10,000 doors between me and some other folks. Um, and I went out to a lot of the rural towns, which had never really seen their state Senator and, and, and have started building those same relationships that I did here in St. Albans, um, five, six years ago now. That's crazy. That's certainly, um, I, you know, I've, I've had a handful of, of people on this podcast who have, uh, political office and campaigning experience. Um, it, it seems like the story is, is the same regardless of the size of your, uh, your position and your geographic area, but boy, that takes, that takes some gumption to wake up every day and, uh, know how much you have ahead of you to get your message out there, meet your potential constituents or current constituents. And just that's a long day. And I can't even imagine doing it with uh, another professional career that you had to balance as well. Yeah. I mean, my, my typical day during a campaign is up at 5 a.m. Get ready. There's a, if anybody knows St. Albans, there's a busy four-way intersection um, I'd try to get there for about six, six thirty in the morning, you know, especially in the fall time of the campaign, wave to traffic for holding my sign for about an hour or two in the morning, head off to work for my, you know, my day job, as you will sell insurance and, and do all that. And then when the office closed down, you know, four thirty-five, um, usually change real quick, grab a quick bite to eat. And then it was, it's out to a community event or out to when I was running for the house, it was. If I could do 40 doors a night, I knew I was in good shape and, um, and then spending Saturdays and, and, um, you know, knocking, you know, try to do about a hundred doors on a Saturday. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's, it's fast paced. It moves quick, but it's, it's really a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I, we've been kind of, you've been talking about your, your story here and, and there's certainly examples of gumption throughout it, but I'd like to, um, actually ask you the question that I ask most guests. And that is what does gumption actually mean to you? 
you know, to me, it, it's about doing the the little things that, um, you know, in my short time at 29 years old, I've found to, to be successful. And I think um, successful in whatever you do is doing a lot of the little things right. When I played local sports and coached, it was the fundamentals, if you will. And, um, you, you know, I, I see a similarity in both my jobs, but is it making the, the, the number of cold calls I got to make every day? Is it knocking on the same amount of doors I got to knock on every day? And it amazes it amazes me how quickly successes stack on one one another. And that doesn't mean there aren't bad days. I mean, Ryan, you know there are days you can make a hundred phone calls and you get nowhere. Where there's days you can make ten and and you know pull a lot of progress out of them. Same thing with knocking on doors or talking to voters. You know, I can go um, <laughs> a long stretch where people are, are pretty negative, and you know we're not going to vote for you. We don't agree with your stance here. And, you know, you, you know, it, and I know it's hard, but, you know, you take some of those things personally um, because, you know, you don't look at yourself as, as a bad person, but some people maybe look at your political affiliation and, and immediately judge without having a conversation. So I think being able to continue to do the little things, even when things um, aren't going well and just trust in the process, you know, I, I think, you know, to me, gumption, is also, you know, my dad one time said to me, he goes, how do you do the state representative job? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, you got 55% of the vote or so. And he goes, that means 45% of the people didn't want you to win. And I go, <laughs> I go yeah, that's true. But in my line of work, that's a really good 45, 55, 45 is really, really good. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, doing a job where, you know, 40% at least, and that's if you're like most popular in the country, don't like what you're doing. So I think being able to, continue to do little things, know why you're doing them and trust in a process. I think um, there are so many talented people out there who haven't built a process and don't believe in, don't have a routine, if you will, that never quite make it. Whereas um, I would say I'm, I'm mediocre uh, talent, but able to, you know, really just build a process and trust in it and trust in, continually doing the same thing and making adjustments when it doesn't work and, and, you know, trust that process when days aren't good. Um, and, and it's, it's amazing how you can start stacking successes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had a real, uh, I don't know if transformation is the right word, but I had a real like epiphany when, uh, I came to terms with the fact that my career is sales. Yeah. And I feel like I had this like I don't know if it's our culture or what it is, but I I had this thing in the back of my mind, you know, as I was the director of the Boy Scouts, I was like, "No, no, I'm not I'm not in sales. I'm a fundraiser." That's yeah. different. You know, <laughs> but like I had this epiphany one day that you know what? Actually sales is in everything we do from a job interview to convincing uh, a friend uh, or, or somebody in a debate or uh, an argument or um, making a, a deal for, for your car, like if you're buying a car and you're trying to get, you know, it, there are so many life examples of sales. And um, I st once I wholeheartedly jumped into that and recognized that this is actually exactly what I want to do, this is exactly what I love because there's so many opportunities to meet people, my point in saying this is uh it seems like you have wholeheartedly accepted 
the off the awesomeness that is sales because it's you're selling yourself to your constituents you're selling uh a great company and product with with hickok and boardman uh but i think it also at the root of it the best sales people are people who can manage to replicate over and over patterns of behavior that allow them despite the results of that day slowly build their snowball so to be so to speak of of just general life success so your snowball has obviously a hickok and boardman piece has the political piece you have a family piece and you have these behaviors that have made you not lazy about it it made you gumptious about it right and that's true and it's amazing how much people overlook those small steps i mean it's funny, every election I've been in, people say this is going to be a nail biter. Corey's got to, you know, he's run an okay race or a good race and he may not be able to win, but I've actually never been in a close election. You know, from a percentage point, I've always won pretty handedly. And I think everyone's always shocked by the, the margin of victory or and sales, but I think it's, it wasn't anything I did. It's not a speech I gave. We don't, you know, we're not on the TV. We don't run TV ads or else you'd see them in Plattsburgh. It's that slow building support 40 doors at a time. It's, you know, in, in our insurance industry, it's, it's making those phone calls and those meetings and, you know, the opportunity to, to convert business. It's, it's, ama- it's always been amazing to me how small steps, you know, add up to big leaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's the approach you take too, yep. right? Like the quality approach to it. Yep. Um, when I talk to people about, you know, they ask me what my job is like and, and I talk about, yeah, I spend a lot of time on the phone, but my approach is I'm just looking to meet people. Yeah. I'm looking to build my, my network and, and to offer something that I'm actually, I'm, I'm a hundred percent confident is a solution right. for the right person. It's not going to be a solution for everyone, but and it, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's good. I mean, even, you know, and from my political angle, you know, people go, what do you say at the door? And I go, hi, I'm Corey Parent. I'm going around the neighborhood today saying hi. And, you know, I'm seeing if there are any issues on your mind you'd like to share with me. And amazingly, 80% of the time, most people are busy with their lives. They don't have something. And, you know, I leave the the leave behind and I go, well, you know, here, here's my palm card tells you why, why I'm interested in running for, you know, state senate. Um, if you have an opportunity, would love it. If you could shoot me an email or give me a phone call, if you could think of issues that you care about. Now, a lot of them don't, but I think just that opening of, wow, he came to my off, you know, house and instead of immediately jumping into a platform, he asked, what do I care about? How, you know what I mean? And, and honestly, yep. I look at my you know job in, in that role. There are so many issues that come up in the legislature that you don't campaign on that you don't think about, but it's, kind of knowing how your constituents feel on a number of issues and way they would look at issues um, and try to, um, you know, use your, those conversations you've built over the years or months and, and, and then make your best, you know, estimate of where your constituents would like to see you push that piece of legislation or have that conversation. And, um, you know, I think that's the rewarding piece is when you know what your constituents want and when you know what, um, your clients want and, and how they want to be treated. Um, I think that's helpful. Granted, 
you're not right 100 percent time like i said i i'm in a job where you know if a constituent doesn't agree with a lot of my votes it certainly goes wow they don't represent me you know I, i'd say you know I, through the conversations, I do my best, and you know, and I feel like I've always represented the, the majority of my constituents, and, and that's how that game works. Yep, exactly. And, and early on in my uh, uh, nonprofit career with the Boy Scouts, I uh, and there's a lot of different versions of this this training piece, but the rule of seven. You might even know where I'm going with this, but. You've certainly, whether you realize it or not, have been implementing the rule of seven in your campaigns. I'm sure you're doing it with uh, Hickok and Boardman as well. But the rule of seven essentially at its root is saying, don't ever ask for something without having seven touch points with whomever it is that you're looking to ask something from. So whether that be an opportunity to, to actually become their agent for insurance or actually uh, become their, their Senator. Uh, your, your touch point is 6am roadside. They're seeing the Corey parent logo. Yeah. You know, later they're getting a phone call touch point. Number two, then later they're getting um, somewhere down the road, a visit uh, touch point number three. And you see the pattern here. Yeah. Eventually you're getting that familiarity where people realize, Oh, wow, this guy's legit. Like this guy, actually cares and and they've found that roughly the rule of seven give or take one or two you know is a is it's the it's the marketing effort so to speak that needs to make you familiar with with the the brand right Right. no absolutely and um that's so true i mean it's one of the things i wanted to do in my political career and, and i actually think it dovetails well into what hickok and boardman does is i don't want transactional relationships i want you know what I mean? I want real relations. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And so many times I found in, in politics, the politician shows up when they want your vote, when they want something at a ribbon cutting. Um, you know, I, I'll show up to community meetings in some of these small communities and I'll sit in the back of the room. And I think people, when they're walking out, you know, I'll talk to a handful and they're like, we didn't know you were here. And I go, I, you know, I go, I don't need to be recognized, you know, I just want to be here. I, you know, if you guys have questions, I can answer them if, if it, something comes up in the meeting. But I just want to let you know, like, I like to show up to the meetings and just sit in the back and listen. Um, you know, yep. I, I don't have to be the the, the show. I um, Last night's a good example. This weekend is our Franklin County Field Days over here in Vermont, which would be similar to your county fairs uh, in New York. And, you know, I was, you know, I did the booth last night. We, we had, um, I went with the state representative from one of the towns and, you know, we parked next to a, a couple we knew, um, grabbing dinner, and we just eat next to them and talk to them for thirty minutes. And you know, we stopped by a couple of the the businesses we know on display, and then, you know, we went into the beer tent for the truck pulls, and you know, um, <laughs> had a beer nice. too. But people were, you know, some people were coming up to us, being like, "Oh, election year, you guys in here for votes? Or you already got my vote? You don't need to talk to us." And we looked at them, we go, "It's not an election year. We, we're not here for votes." And they go, well, "What? You know, why are you guys doing?" I go, "We just like to be out and about, let you know, you know." <laughs> we're just like you guys. And, you know, if you got issues, we're glad to talk to them now, but maybe just seeing us might remind you to reach out to us another time. And so I think being visible and, um, and now is, is beneficial as well. Yeah. And, and not always trying to be looking for that vote. People, I think people always see the, you know, when you said, man, do I really want my life to be sales? People have this negative image of sales of politicians, of, of so many careers and, 
you know, I think when it's done right, um, people see the value in them. And I think it's, it's building those relationship driven, um, you know, bonds and not just this transactional relationship where we just use each other constantly. Exactly. The classic, the classic sales example that, that, that gives people this gut feeling of, of, you know, detest towards sales people is that, you know, is that cold call when you're the recipient, but the person's expecting you to buy a radio subscription or something that moment. And you're like, I don't know you, I don't know where you're from. And that's, that's the frustrating sales example. But when you're doing to your point, when you're doing it right, uh, people know exactly who you are. They know exactly what you're about. And, uh, if you did it exceptional, they know exactly how you can help them. Right. And at that point, by the time, by the time you ask them if, if they're prepared to, to become a client and, and take the relationship to the next level, uh, or, or constituent in, in your case in politics, you know, they've already made their decision and you know, they made their decision a while ago, but now it's just a formality. Well, and, and, and honestly, there's a, a good book that one of our colleagues had told me I should read when I first started at the agency. And, um, I forgot who the author is. It's in my office at, at the insurance agency, not in my home one, but, uh, the book was called getting naked. And it was a small consulting firm out in the West coast that would in their first meeting, go out and, and immediately start trying to solve a problem for, for their prospect. And then they would get to like that point where they'd be like, okay. And then they, in the prospect, like just all of a sudden wanted that problem completely solved. And, and that's when they were like, well, we'll, we're glad to continue to work on it, but you know what I mean? But like they said, they go, it's okay to invest a little bit of already starting to work with people um, and show them what you can do um, uh, before they, before you ask for the sale or the vote or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, a a good example out of St. Albans, we don't tend to have internet or broadband issues, but in a lot of the rural communities I represent, we do. And um, at the time I was, when I first ran for the Senate, I was ranking member of the energy and technology committee in the Vermont house. And, um, you know, I was going to these doors and people were complaining about internet service. And so, um, you know, I, I knew the, uh, the people at the company that was the provider in that area. And so when people complain, I'd call that next morning, I'd be like, Hey, I got complaints at these addresses about your service. You know, I'd really appreciate it if you guys could be better. Um, and really, you know, these people say they're calling and no one's getting back to them and, you know, they've been trying to get service and, and so on and so forth. And those, the company reach out to the people and be like, Hey, we got a phone call from representative parent today. He said, he had a conversation with you. How can we help you fix it? Like I went up the chain and, and that wasn't even like a political policy thing. It was just me calling a company and being like, and them, them knowing that, you know, in the clout I had when I was on the energy and technology committee in the house, they're like, yeah, we probably don't want to, you know, if Corey's hearing a lot of complaints, if they're not taken care of, he's going to address it in the legislature if he has to. And, you know, they started solving problems for those people. And um, I don't know how many of those people ended up voting for me, but I have a pretty good idea. A lot of them did because I was already providing solutions to them without, you know what I mean, um, being their senator, if you will. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, one thing I want to, I'm going to shift gears slightly here, but we, we talked about it uh, uh, briefly in the very beginning in your intro and uh, certainly before uh, recording the actual podcast here, but you have taken it upon yourself to pursue an MBA 
Yeah. Which is probably another gumptious decision as someone who has done that while working a job. I know what that's about. Um, and uh, I did successfully complete that program and I'm so much better for it. But tell me a little bit about uh, the decision making there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this past winter, I was sitting there going, God, I've, you know, I have a pretty busy schedule. My wife and I had our first child. He's a year old now. We plan on having more and and, and education's always been important to me. I always feel like um, going to St. Lawrence and, you know, um, gave me a lot of the, the, the leg up that I've gotten so far in my early life. And, and I felt like I've also gotten to the point where um, in self-reflection, I can be like, you know what, I could sharpen these skills. And, you know, I'd like to have, a, you know, now knowing what I know, six, seven, eight years into a professional life, um, what you know, what can I do to really hone some of these skills? Um, you know, like I said, I just turned 29 a few weeks ago, you know, as I'm getting into my early thirties to, to really capitalize on the experiences I have and to get more when I'm in, um, some of these meetings. And, you know, I started researching, I was looking at masters of public administration, masters of uh, business administration. And, um, you know, obviously I knew I probably couldn't do a classroom setting. I, couldn't take time off from work. Um, it'd have to be an online setting. And, um, you know, I kept coming back to the MBA and the, and some of the skills that and the classes that I would have to take. And, you know, to me, um, you know, kind of rebring that, that, um, like I said, bringing back to the fundamentals. If anybody's ever played sports, it's in the middle of the season. Sometimes the coach has you do some of the drills you did in the first part of the season, just because things may have gotten sloppy or not have been, Perfect. And, and I'm not saying, you know, that's where, where my work was, but I just felt it was a good time to, to re-engage in the fundamentals and spend a little mm. time each night, you know, reconnecting and rebuilding skill sets and, and sharpening skills. You know, it's, um, and it's been good, you know, I'm doing it slow. I probably won't get it done in two years, but a class at a time, you know, like it's 40 doors at a time, um, <clears throat> you know, just really re-engaging and, and, um, thinking and challenging yourself and, and sharpening skill sets that, um, you know, you don't always take the time to, um, during your career. And I just felt it was a really good time for me to do this. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful it'll make me a better public servant. I'm hopeful it'll make me a better insurance agent. Um, and ultimately a better person, I think, but, you know, and I'm in the middle of my first class, but, you know, it's already good to just re-engage and, you know, I just happened to be in managerial economics as my first class. And I was an economics major at St. Lawrence, but it was good to, to re-engage in this. But some of the decision making, you know, I see it from from the public at, uh, policy perspective when I'm making these decisions, but also uh, being able to put myself in where our clients are and what the challenges they have to do when they're building um you know, manufacturing a product and everything that they have to do. And, and I'm just one small piece of it, but how I can, you know, be, uh, you know, a critical piece and taking some stress off of, of them in the risk management area. But it's, it's neat to, to re-engage. And I think it's so critical, no matter what we do in whatever career we do, we, most of us who are licensed, whether it's insurance or finance or real estate, you have to do your continuing ed. And I don't think people always get the most out of continuing ed. I think they take the class because they have to, but I think the whole concept behind it is, is how to constantly be getting better at what you do and sharpening those skills and taking the time to 
step out of the hamster wheel, if you will, of the next sale or the next vote and, and say, you know, how do I get better when we actually execute the deal? And, and, and to me, earning an MBA is part of that process. It's just sharpening skills at a, a time in my career where I think um, I have a lot of application to um, what's going on um, at, at a good amount and being able to make sure that, you know, moving forward for the next 30 years of my career that, you know, I'm, I'm as best as I can be personally. It's a beautiful thing when you can uh, <clears throat> come into, at least from my experience, and it sounds like you're taking it the same the same way with the same mindset, but it's a beautiful thing when you can apply your professional experience and into the content of the classroom and, and the MBA curriculum. When you're, when, at least for me, when I was going to St. Lawrence, I got a ton out of that curriculum and my degree uh, from St. Lawrence, but there's something very, very different about taking your time, not rushing into a master's program, getting some real life experience in the workplace, and then applying those experiences to what you're learning in the classroom again. It's it's a cool way to learn. And that's what I, I felt like I got the most uh, real life applicable knowledge from my MBA from versus any other education I've ever had. And, and I think that's a big piece why. Well, and it's so true. I mean, whether it's your writing prompts, you know, the homework assignments or the homework assignments, but like, you know, sometimes the discussion prompts and, and I'm sure some of my classmates get sick of it, but I really try to view them as the lens through the lens of my Hickok and Boardman job and my state Senate role. And, you know, again, in financial or uh, managerial economics, which is a lot of decision-making and, and how you get there. And, and I really try to apply those concepts to both roles in my writing and trying to explore what they mean. And did I just miss them as an insurance agent or as a state senator when I've lived this example? But to to take that that concept and to, like you said, apply it to those real world examples, it helps you understand your job a little bit better and see things from a different angle. And um, I think that's really rewarding. And, you know, like I said, it's I know I'm busy, but to take the the couple hours a week that it takes to just reflect on maybe something you did that week um, to pause and and to connect it to the curriculum. It, to me, it, it's, it, that's the most rewarding part so far. I, I've, I've enjoyed that piece of, of, you know, the curriculum so far. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, good for you. And uh, I'm sure I'll hear updates as you keep, keep uh, rocking and rolling through that. Uh, I'm going to shift gears one last time here to the stories of gumption podcast rapid fire section are you ready yeah <laughs> all right man i'm gonna wrap i'm gonna rifle off some questions here for you and uh i just want you to think of um the best answer is you don't have to rush yourself but uh then he's gonna go a little quicker so first one question number one what's a book you would gift to a friend and why S- start with why um it's a book i read a, a while ago and and i think too many of us, again, get into the, the minute detail, and we talked a lot about that today, but ultimately why, the bigger picture of why you're doing something um, and what's driving you, I, I think, is is critical in anything. I I feel like I've heard of that book. I don't, I don't remember who wrote it. Do you happen to remember who wrote that yeah, book? Simon Sinek. Yes. Yep. Start with why. Yeah, but you know, it talks about like Apple or Google or 
what it is and it's this ecosystem and then the product's part of it. And to me that start with why, why, why is it important to buy insurance from Hickok and Boardman or why is it important that I'm your state Senator? Um, you know, the, the small details get you there, but you still have to have that grander vision um, of, of why you're doing what you're doing. Exactly. I like it. I got this long list of, <laughs> of uh, books that I need to try and catch up on from all these different podcasts, but that's a good one. I actually have heard great things about that book and I've never picked it up. So I'm definitely going to make sure that's on the list. Question number two. If you were able to put up a billboard anywhere in the world for free, what would you put on that billboard and why? Uh, the smart aleck in me will say no billboards are allowed in Vermont. So <laughs> I was wondering if that was good. <laughs> um, that, that is one of the cultural differences between our side of the lake and yours. Um, you know, I don't know. I think I would, uh, um, you know, in, in the political sense, you know, I'd probably... Um, you know, talk about the issues, but I think I would, um, yeah, I think, you know, in, in today's light, I would probably have a positive story. I think we, so many people see so much negative that I think having something positive when someone's driving to work or driving where they are would be, would be helpful to get people in the right frame of mind. I agree. We, we need a little more of that. Um, question number three, what piece of advice would you give to your 18 year old self if you could? Um, the cliche one that I got probably as an 18 year old, but don't close yourself off to opportunities. Um, like you never thought I'd be an insurance agent at 18. I didn't even know what Goldman Sachs was. Um, you know, I think being at St. Lawrence allowed me to take risks. And I think, um, you know, I tell 18 year old Corey to take even more risks than you took and to explore more than you did. Um, it's amazing what comes out of the least expected things. I love it. Here's the last question. It's my favorite question that I ask of every guest. Number four, if we could assemble a three-person board of directors to guide and mentor you through the rest of your life, who would you choose and why? They can be alive, deceased, famous, or not. But who would you choose and why? Um... First one I would choose would be my my grandfather. Um, he passed away when I was two, but had some pretty incredible stories of him. He um, was raised through the Depression, um, worked his way up at, you know, served in World War II, Alcoa. And I think between um, just being a family person and um, that part of my life, having somewhat, you know, some of the life experiences he had and the hardships he had um, to be able to to learn more from those, I think would be. Uh, amazing. So on a personal level, my grandfather, um, and I actually named my, my first son after him. So, um, it'd be him on, um, you know, a business level. Um, you know, I would love to, to, you know, um, to look at some of these people who just completely shifted the, the world, but, um, uh, God, I'm trying to think of the best one. I have so many in my mind. Um, <laughs> it's hard. I can almost hear your your clicking through the through your Rolodex. Of, yeah. Oh, this person, this person, this person. Yeah. So maybe maybe politically, I would I would go to. Um, um, I would have liked to have known um, and worked with uh, uh, that one. I that one would probably be a former governor of Vermont, Jim Douglas, who I actually do have a relationship with, but someone who's 
um, just always been even keeled and um, is good at reading situations and is, is phenomenal on, on so many levels and just remembers people and, um, and their stories and, and years later, you know, remembers me from when I was a 14 year old kid and just be bopping around trying to help out. Um, I, I would include him. And then um, on a business end, you know, there are so many, and I feel like I've had so many good mentors already, you know, I can think of, um, but you know, I, um, you know what, maybe I, to, to not pull on someone famous, um, would be to continue our accounting professor at St. Lawrence, um, uh, Brian Staples. I had a good relationship with him and, um, and the things he did, he was an accountant, but in town in Canton, but also own investment properties and other things. And, um, he really changed my mind on the way to look at investing and some other things. So I think, you know, having someone from that investment perspective that he did some pretty neat things um, to have on the board. So none of them ultimately all that famous, you know, maybe a lo- uh, governor of Vermont, but, um, you know, I think having people that would look at all those ends and challenge me and feel comfortable challenging me um, would be pretty neat. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, hey, this has been great. We, we, uh, for the listeners here, we actually jumped in uh, nice, bright, and early to start a, a Saturday morning when we recorded this uh, for you. And I can hear your, your, uh, probably your, your email or something pinging. People are starting to wake up and and reach out to you. But um, I, uh, I want to give you the opportunity. Uh, thank you again uh, for sitting down with me this morning, my friend. But uh, I also want to give you the opportunity to give a sending message, whether to, uh, related to, uh, your professional career, politics in general, uh, now's your chance. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ryan, for having me. I appreciate it. I think this is pretty neat. I think, um, too many times, you know, we look at Steve Jobs story or, uh, David, you know, or Mark Zuckerberg or any of these really successful people, but there's a lot of success in this country and in this world that maybe doesn't hit the news all the time. So I think telling stories and in local communities is important. Um, but ultimately I, you know, my message would be, um, to anyone out there listening, you're already proving you're a little gumptious by taking the time to listen to this podcast, but, um, continue to learn, continue to develop, take risks. Don't be afraid of failure. Um, I've, I've been more successful coming out of failures in life than probably times when I haven't failed a lot. So I I think failure is a good thing as long as you're learning from it. And I think, if you're not in a situation where you're failing, you're not, you're not, you're not being gumptious, if you will. I love it. Well, that man, that's a great send off. Uh, thank you again, everybody. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you, if you love what you're listening to, if this is your first podcast that you've listened to for stories of gumption, or if you've been with us from the very beginning, uh, if you haven't done so already, smash that subscribe button, uh, and, uh, you'll get an update every time we, uh, put out a new episode. Corey, thank you again, my friend. Excellent episode. Very insightful. And uh, until next time, this is Stories of Gumption.